The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. guess I'm up. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be back with you here at First Baptist Pelham. I do love and appreciate your retired pastor, almost said former pastor, retired pastor and his wife Mary, and they've been dear friends all through the years. You already know that, most of you, but you've had the opportunity for 35 years now to enjoy the maturity and the stability and longevity of that ministry and now you're turning the corner looking out in the future and I want you to know that we here at the State Board of Missions your state missionaries will be praying for you pulling for you doing everything we can to help you during this time and I know that it's going to be in the fact that yet the best is yet to be as you look to the future we want to thank you also for giving through the cooperative program and the special offerings and allowing missionaries not only to be here in Alabama but in North America in international missions. It's an opportunity for you to, no matter where you are, or, or no matter what you think, you have 24-7, 365 days out of the year, everywhere, anywhere possible that the gospel is being able to be preached. You are there in terms of representation, and that in itself is one of the great joys of the, uh, it, the genius and joy of what we have in cooperative missions in Southern Baptist and Alabama Baptist life. Also, it is Father's Day, and I think it'd be good if you're a father or a grandfather, you stand now and let us just give a, a hand of applause to you. Thank you so much. It's, I know what it's like on Mother's Day. There are all kinds of festivities, all kinds of niceties. And on Father's Day, they just hand you the check and say, thank you, Dad. I, I know how that works. I have been there. I have a closet full of t-shirts. I understand that. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 32. And while you're turning there, let me just, by way of introduction, say that the Scripture is replete with numerous kind of references related to the problem you and I have emotionally and spiritually called fear. Fear is a difficulty. It's always with us. No matter how strong we are, we still have moments of fear. No matter how brave we become, we still have moments of trepidation. No matter how courageous we might think we are in our stands, we still look upon life with a degree of insecurity and uncertainty. That's just being human beings. That's human nature. And therefore, we have to live with that kind of environment. The Bible again reminds us, at least in 365 references, in some fashion, you don't have to be afraid. Do not fear. Jesus himself employed the language over and over again, and this is one of the lesser-known places where that happens. Luke's gospel is somewhat different in terms of scattering out the material in the Sermon on the Mount. It does so in about six chapters, Luke's gospel 6 through chapter 12. And in chapter 12, if you'll look at verse 31, 
is the familiar verse found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is, for us, a very familiar reference. Then verse 32 comes with a reminder, a stark reminder, almost like we come to a dead stop when we think about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. Now we come to the statement of Jesus, simply, if you will, making an abrupt transition. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Late one night, I was having all kinds of difficulties sleeping. Uh, if you don't have that problem, you are indeed a blessed person. You let me know what you're doing. I don't know what it is. There are moments, there are times during the course of a period of, of time that I have difficulty sleeping. One of those occasions, I'm lying awake. Finally, I just get up. I grab my Bible. I started reading just randomly, and I came across Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and my eyes fell on verse 32. In all honesty, in all of my study of the Scripture throughout these decades of Bible study, I've really never featured and focused upon that verse in the way in which I saw it that night. The words remind us that we don't have to be afraid, even though we are. I don't care how brave you are. I don't care how much strength you may have. I don't care what it is you and how many blessings in life you have and how good life has been to you. Every single one of us in some fashion harbors some fears. And if it were not the case, the Bible wouldn't have said it over and over again. Do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Do not fear. Jesus is giving us one of those do not fear statements, and then he fo follows it with three pictures of God in which I had never realized before. Three pictures of God which remind us if we understand these pictures of God and make them applicable and inculcated in our lives, then the fear factor is diminished. You can cope with your fears, if not conquer your fears, if you have a true understanding, a true comprehension of the kind of God we serve. So let's begin. What are these three pictures? Remember now, Jesus said, you, don't, you do not have to be afraid, little flock. Well, sheep. Little sheep, that's what he's talking about. And if there's a flock, if there's sheep, there also is to be a shepherd. A shepherd always at least in the truest and most ideal sense of the word, supposed to be shepherding the flock. So that's one picture of God, a shepherd who protects his sheep. The second picture of God, it is the Father's good pleasure. If there's a father, then there are children. You can't really have a father without having some understanding that there is a family, there are children. That's the second picture. Third picture, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If there is a kingdom, then there is a royal family. There is a king. There are your three pictures. A shepherd protecting his sheep, a father providing for his children, 
a king empowering his citizens. Let's just take those three pictures and allow them to be adorned in, if you will, the walls of our heart so that when we be, begin to be inundated by fear, we'll understand that we don't have to be afraid. First, a shepherd who protects his sheep. In the Old Testament, we have the familiar place, Psalm 23. Psalm 23 reminds us, the Lord is my shepherd. I read some weeks ago a reminder that there was a day in which pastors in small towns would contact on Friday the newspaper for Saturday publication and give the title of his message. This pastor did that, and he was asked, what is the text? He said, Psalm 23. The editor said, what is the title? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And the editor said, is that, is that all? And he said, that's enough. When the paper came out on Saturday, the title of the message, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, dash, that's enough. And it is enough. When we understand the Lord is our shepherd, then we comprehend our place in terms of life itself. We are His sheep. Many, many times we become so distraught by the fact that we're meager and mild and maybe we don't feel like we have a great status and stature in life. But really, we ought to revel in that. I wonder sometimes if if someone had compared us to dogs, how we would feel? Probably not too good. Now, I'll even go further. If someone were to compare us to donkeys, we wouldn't feel very good. Snakes. Mm, I don't like snakes. Maybe you do. I've seen people with pet snakes. Mm -mm, not me. But when we're compared to sheep, that's an endearing kind of relationship. For in the first century and before in the Old Testament, the number one most respected profession was that of a shepherd. We forget that. There was a time when farmers were highly respected. We had a lot of them. Alabama was one of the major agricultural states. And now because we've digitized and mechanized farming, you don't have to have many laborers and farms now are big family businesses and enterprises to the most extent. And therefore, we don't talk a whole lot about farming as a profession. But agriculture is a necessity and it is to be respected. Shepherding the flock was the most respected profession of the day. What was Moses doing when God called him into his service? Shepherding the flock. What was David doing when God called him into the service of doing the necessary, and that is slaying Goliath? What was he doing? He was a shepherd. The Old Testament reminds us, as well as the New, that being a shepherd is one of the sweetest, most endearing professions of all. In one of my several trips to the Holy Land, I asked the bus driver to stop, and I got out, got out and I went out in the shepherd's field, as they call it, outside Jerusalem, and there was a, a shepherd. He was standing there, and, and to be honest with you, not being unkind at all, I could tell that he was very good at what he was doing because I could smell him before I could get up to him. He smelled like sheep, been around them. And when I got to him, I began talking to him through the translator or interpreter, and I began asking him about his 
his role and what he does, his responsibility. And then I just said, well, I understand that a shepherd knows every name of the flock. Of course, I was ref referencing the New Testament, knowing the names. And he said, hmm. He had 18 little sheep. Started calling their names, and every one of those little heads just came up, and they turned and looked at him. And then he called out to them, which was a command to come to him, and it's in sheep language, and I'll just merely try to imitate it. He just said, was that pretty good? And they just all started flocking toward him. And he reached down and took little treats, and he began, we had to get out of the way, he began feeding those sheep, and they just snuggled real close to him, and he reached down and he hugged every single one of them like you and I would hug a child the shepherd and his sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for the sheep. He further said in two places in John chapter 10, I am the door. Now by that he means in the day of Jesus and before at night, oftentimes a shepherd would build up a kind of a mud encampment and it would be sort of this high in order to keep any predator from leaping over into the flock to be able to kill and steal, if you will, them. He would build that and then he'd have an opening and we, we, we would just call it an opening. They called it a door. And he would lie down with his rod and his staff in front of the door. Was it... Was it there we got the saying, over my dead body, over my dead body you'll do something? Was it there we got that? I don't know, but perhaps so. He was simply saying, the predator may come, the predator may take one of my flock, but it will be over my dead body. What was Jesus saying on the cross? Jesus was saying, the devil may have his day, sin may have its time, but over my dead body will they claim my own. Jesus was giving himself on the cross as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And when we're fearful, let us be reminded that the shepherd always protects his sheep. In John 10, he says, you could be in my hand, my hand, and no one, not even the devil himself, will pluck you out. A shepherd protects his sheep. Do not be afraid, little flock. Why? Because he's a shepherd who protects his sheep. Do not be afraid, little flock, because you have a father who provides for his children. Now, this is Father's Day. Again, we joke around about it, but fathers are underappreciated, underrespected in many ways in our culture. And let me just be honest, some fathers have earned it. There is a demographic, a number of young people today who will live in a single parent home, no fault of their own. We have this term that's come into our vocabulary and we just accepted it. It's stigmatized, but we've accepted it called deadbeat dads. Biologically, you can have children and be a parent, but that doesn't make you a father. And we have parents now who are walking away from their children. And we're thinking about fathers who have turned their back for whatever reason, call it selfishness, call it alcohol, drugs, any other kind of addiction, call it whatever you will, whatever the circumstances, 
But the victims are the children. I have a friend of mine, about my age, who grew up in a home where he never knew his father. Now, there were men in the home. His mother married three times and had three live-ins. So over a period of his growing up years, formative years, he had six men who lived in the home. And every single one of them wanted to be known as dad. No, he would never do that. They were abusive to him and his siblings. He, he tried his best. He did what he could. But he never really could digest the fact that the, the term father was a positive image. When he thought of a father, he thought of one of those deadbeat dads, abusive individuals, just low-life kind of persons, and he really could never have positive feelings about the term father until he came to a youth meeting and the precocious young youth student minister was leading a Bible study on the Lord's Prayer. And he was talking about our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is what he said. Now guys, he said, some of you may come from homes which are dysfunctional. You may have difficulties even comprehending and understanding who your father is. You may not know who your father is, or you may have a father and you don't have a positive relationship with your father, and therefore you just cannot really see the term father positively as you should. He said, but whether or not you know who your father is, or whether or not you even like the father you have, please understand this, he, he said. I declare to you, please understand this. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, you can have a heavenly father who loves and provides for you and will always be there with you. Amen. In every heart, in every person's life, there is, in my ins I'm not trying to be a psychologist, but there is a father hunger in every person's life. A father hunger. You could be 75 years old and have a father hunger. Let me tell you about a person who does. Two weeks ago, I was in a revival meeting in a little church. A lady came up to me and she said, can I give you my testimony real quickly? I, we didn't have a lot of time, but she cut to the chase. She said, I'm one of those people. I don't know who my father is. My mother gave me up for adoption. I traced her, I know who she is, but I don't know who my biological father is. And she said, that's haunted me all of my life. All of my life, I've questioned my identity, I've, I've wondered about my background, I've wondered if I had any other family, and I've just finally come to the place that I just, out there some years ago, I started loving the family that I had, and I just turned my attention there, just forgot all about that. But she said, tonight, I just thought again how tragic it has been for me to live all of these years and not know who my father is. But she said, I'm glad. I have a heavenly father who loves me, gave His Son Jesus Christ for me and will never leave nor forsake me. Our Heavenly Father is not a deadbeat dad.
He's an eternal, almighty, loving God who will provide for his children. Two pictures, a shepherd who protects his sheep, a father who provides for his children. We don't have to be afraid because we have a shepherd. We have a father, but we have a king. Now that one is a little more difficult to digest, a king. America was started because we didn't want to have a king. We, we certainly didn't want to be a part of the British Empire. We were the first colony to break off. I tell my British friends, America was the first colony to break off, and every one of them followed our example. They barely have an empire now. They call it the United Kingdom, and it's neither united nor a kingdom. It's just a little island nation. By the way, every time I'm there in London, I never can figure out whether the flag is supposed to be up or down, but whatever it is, she's not there when I'm there. That is the queen. The royal family. Have have you wondered what the royal family does? Not trying to put anybody down, but I don't know what they do. It's a paying of a homage to the past. It's a living monument, the kingdom is, the kings and the queens and the prince and those who are princes. They're just living monuments. They don't really have any official duties. The prime minister and parliament, they have the official duties. That's true with all those symbolic monarchies left in our world today. But there was a time, you and I don't remember it, we can read about it. There was a time when a king had a kingdom and he was dictator. It was his domain and he was always seeking to gain power. He would go to war to gain power, to gain more land to conquer nations, to overtake power sources, and to become the number one empire, if possible. And our history is replete with examples of kingdoms which stood in one time or another and no longer stand. But we are a part of a kingdom, a kingdom of God. Uh, we don't have to be, we're, we're a part of a republic democracy or democrat republic here in the United States. I'm not talking about our government. I'm talking about our spiritual situation. We're a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And you know what that means? That means that we are subjects or citizens of the kingdom. And the difference is our king is not trying to subjugate us. Our king is not trying to gain control over us, if you will. Our king is not trying to gain power. No, our king is giving power. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, very familiar declaration, but very important and applicable at this juncture in understanding the kingdom of God. He says, for you shall receive power after which the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the kingdom of God. He's talking about us advancing not our kingdom, not our agenda, not our wishes, but we have been given the literal power of God to advance the kingdom of God. If I were to stand here this morning and just shake an empty glove in front of you and say, oh, this glove has power, you'd look at me so ludicrously and say, man, he has really lost it, been on the road too much. But what if I put my hand in that glove and said now, This glove has all the power this hand gives it. Good illustration in a way. 
We're just like limp gloves, but when the hand of God infuses us by His power, we have all the power He wants to give us. And we become a part of the citizenry of the kingdom of God. We are His subjects, we are His servants, and we represent Him as witnesses wherever we are in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. That's who we are when we become fearful. We can be reminded there is no king but him. When we become fearful, we can be reminded there's no kingdom but one. When we become afraid and we seemingly face life and all of its difficulties, we can just be reminded that he is king of kings and lord of lords. I'm told that the pope, when he travels, has a papal chair. Now, that would be almost like you, well, I'm not the Pope, but it, for a guest speaker, it'd be like you having a special chair for him. By the way, there are no chairs up here. Well, there's one right there. And let's just say this is the special chair. You had it somewhere. You had to bring it up here. That, that's kind of what they're talking about with a papal chair. It's, it's a reserved for him. No one else sits in it. It's reserved for him. Well, he was traveling here in the United States, and up until that particular time some years ago, we had not had many popes to come to the United States, and they did, and wherever he was, this cathedral, well, they didn't know where the chair was. They went looking for it. They had what we Baptists would call a special chair search committee. And they went looking for it. And they found it in the basement somewhere. And they got the cobwebs off of it, and they revarnished it, and they reupholstered it, and they got it ready, and when the pope came, he sat in his chair. Within your heart and mind, symbolically but truly, there is a throne room where one person is to sit on that throne, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one is to be King of kings and Lord of lords of our lives. If we have something else or someone else there, we will go awry, we'll go wrong. If we have our own ambitions there, we'll end up in folly. If we have addictions there, we'll end up in self-destruction. If we have even some good things there, our work or our family or those other things in life, power, fame, sex, you name it, we'll end up in destruction. But when Jesus takes the throne of our lives, we don't have to be afraid. No longer be afraid. Because we have a shepherd who protects his sheep. We have a father who provides for his children. We have a king who empowers his citizens. This morning, I want to invite you to the fold. I want to invite you to the family. I, I want to invite you to be a part of the kingdom. By trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're taking His hand and saying, Lord, You are my shepherd, You are my father, You are my king. And in so doing, you become a person who can cope with, if not conquer, your fears.
If today you don't have a church home, let me tell you, even in transition, First Baptist Church Pelham is a New Testament church with a great commission emblazoned upon its ambition and its aim and ministry. If today you need to recommit your life or dedicate your life, whatever the situation, whatever the need, this is your opportunity as we stand and we pray. Father God, we thank you this day for the opportunity in these moments to be able to share the truth of your word, the scripture, and to be reminded again that we don't have to be afraid, that you are our shepherd, you are our father, you are our king. And so I pray today for those who need to become a part of the fold, the family, the kingdom, even in these moments. I pray for those who might need to come and recommit their lives, whatever the situation may be. I pray for those who might need to come and transfer membership. And Lord, if you're laying upon the heart of someone here the call to ministry in some fashion, the call to missions in some fashion, I pray that this will be the time and the place that those decisions are made. For we ask this prayer, we make this prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Right up front, your staff is here. If you need to come on profession of faith, recommitment of your life, transfer of membership, don't be ashamed, don't be apologetic, don't be hesitant. This is your moment. You come as we sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.